Hi there. Welcome to episode 23 of Stories That Made Us. This episode covers the creation myth of the Hungarian, Sami, and Romanians of Europe. To put that into perspective, we cover tales from the lands of Hungary, parts of Sweden, Norway, Russia, and Finland, and of course, Romania and Moldova. The first two tales are of the Hungarian and the Sami peoples, who are a part of the Finno-Ugric language family that also includes the Finns and the Karelians of Russia. We cover their creation story in episode 18 of the series. It's a rather interesting tale, recounted from the first two runes of the Finnish national epic, the Kalevala. This episode begins with the Hungarian tale of our origin. We then speak of the Sami story, and end with two variations of Romanian mythology. So then, let's begin with the Hungarians. The origin of the Hungarians is a matter of debate, owing to their linguistic proximity to other Finno-Ugric languages. They are generally believed to have originated from the Ural Mountains, Western Siberia, or Middle Volga. In fact, until rather recently, they were considered to be directly related to the Huns. This theory, however, has been debunked. Interestingly, the first written version of the Hungarian creation myth is contained in a book titled "The Deeds of the Huns and Hungarians." And dates back to 1282 A.D. This and the later versions of the Hungarian creation myths, including the one recounted here, were collected and formed a part of the Hungarian mythology, which came to be known as the Saga and Legend of the Stag. It was compiled by the Hungarian ethnographer and linguist Adorjan Magyar. This is the Hungarian myth. Of the origin of the world and of man. This was when there was just water; land had not yet been formed, and all creation consisted of the holy sea, its eternal waves forming, breaking, and rolling back and forth. This endless water permeated the universe, for there was nothing beyond. There was nothing above and nothing under, no light, no life, and no beauty. Everything was dark and dreary. Waves and foam from the tumultuous infinite waters were all there was in this desolate world. Now up above. In the great immeasurable heights, the very place that is now known as heaven, there stood a golden house. Within this beautiful abode, sat on an intricate golden throne, was the great heavenly Father. He is the primordial deity, the one God of eternity. He was there when the universe was formed. He was there before time came to be. He had seen all the years of the past, and would see the years of the future. He is the old, white-haired, and white-bearded, timeless God, the Father 
of the universe. He is robed in the black garb of the cosmos. Upon his cloak are etched innumerable sparkling stars, the very same that has populated the dark sky since the beginning of time. His countenance is pleasing but stern, and his white eyebrows are slightly knit. He has the look of a serene master on whose commands dance the whole universe. Beside him sits his wife, the great heavenly mother. Elegantly occupying a throne of silver, she sits directing the will of the cosmos. She is as ancient as the heavenly father, and together they rule the vast tumultuous sea and all that was under and above it. Unlike the dark robe of the great father, the heavenly mother is clad in a sparkling white dress. On it too shines countless sparkling stars, brighter than any diamonds that you can imagine. The beautiful white-haired heavenly mother too has existed before time. She too will exist for all eternity to come. The Heavenly Father and the Great Mother both are of the ancient material of which the universe and indeed everything is made. They are in all the animate and inanimate objects of the universe. They are energy and light. They are force and mass. They are the laws that uphold and maintain order in an otherwise chaotic cosmos. Now in front of these two great deities stood their beautiful golden-haired son. He is the apple of their eye, their only beloved child. He stands brave and tall shining so brightly that you or I would avert our eyes and bend our heads in deference. He is the Sun God, Magyar. He wears a golden armor and carries a sword that when unsheathed shines with a blinding white light. He is the stalwart of heaven, the protector and overseer of the universe and everything in it. The radiant sun god Magyar asks one day of his father, Dear Heavenly Father, the ancient creator of the universe, when shall we create a world for the humans? When shall we let life flourish and blossom upon this dark and dreary universe? The ancient Heavenly Father breaks from his endless meditation and gazes upon the bright face of his doting son. Encouraged by his father's loving gaze, Magyar continues, The eternal sea just waves and rolls. There is nothing below and nothing above. We live in heaven that is beyond the universe. There is nothing for us to grow and mold. There is no one for us to guide and help prosper. There is no life beyond the timeless and the ancient. When shall we create a world for the humans? The old grey-haired Heavenly Father hears his son's pleas and lowers his head. 
He ponders the question for a while. He turns to his wife, who gives him a knowing look and a gracious smile. The ancient deities knew that it was time. They had held back upon creation, for they waited for their son to lead in this endeavor. They had waited an eternity for him to be able to shoulder the burden and the responsibility of creation. Now that he was ready, it was time to bring creation to life. My dear sweet golden-haired son, Heavenly Father thus said, If you are ready to bear the responsibility of the humans, then let us create for mankind their own world. Let us give them a place to call home, one to live in and prosper. Let us create the earth, and upon it all that is required for mankind, who shall be your children, to grow and flourish. Magyar was happy beyond measure. Struggling to control his enthusiasm, the sun god replied, How shall we create such a world, dear father? A world that is worthy of my children. Where shall we get the constituents upon which this world is to be built? Magyar's enthusiasm was not unseen by the heavenly parents. They smiled. And this time, it was the Heavenly Mother who replied, This is how we shall create this world of your children, dear son. She paused a while, as if pondering how to best say the next few words. In the depths of the blue sea of eternity, under the tumultuous waves and frothy waters, there lie the sleeping seeds. These seeds contain within them the essence of all creation. Within them are all that is required to make the world. Within them also encased are the sleeping men and women of the world. Descend, therefore you have to, to the deep depths of the great sea. From there bring up the sleeping seeds. It is from these that the world shall be fashioned and born. The sun god followed the directions laid down by his parents. He resolved to dive under the water and find the sleeping seeds. He turned himself into a bird, a radiant golden duck that mirrored his brightness and beauty. Afterward, he headed towards the endless great sea. The duck flew down to the expanse of the sea and remained there for a while. He floated atop the water for a long time, getting a feel of the deep ocean. When ready, the golden duck dove into the depths of the blue sea. He plunged underwater in search of the sleeping seeds. The bird held his breath and searched for the bottom for as long as he could, but was unable to reach it. Out of breath, he was forced to resurface. The sun god, in the garb of a bird, the swam to the top, and there 
he floated for a while, gathering his strength. When finally ready, he took deep breaths and dived again into the deep blue sea. Diving deeper by the minute, he slowly relieved the air from his lungs, which, like little pearls, rose to the top and popped on the surface of the rolling sea. The sea became darker and darker as the golden duck dived deeper. He lost time of how long he spent under the water. By and by, he slowly inched towards the bottom of the endless sea. Eventually, his beak hit the bottom of the sea where he found some sand. This he took into his beak and when he had had enough, he ready to swim back to the surface. Like an arrow, the sun god in his avatar of a duck shot up to the top of the water. There he first placed the sand, which turned into the land that became the earth and the home of all living creatures. He then placed the sleeping seeds upon this earth. Slowly, the seeds grew. They grew up and became all the living things, including all the plants, animals, and of course, humans. The humans came to be known as Magyars, also known as Hungarians. They are the children of the sun. The next story is of the Sami. The Sami or the Lak people have inhabited Northern Europe for at least 2,500 years. They are a part of the Finno-Ugric family with their homeland consisting of parts of Sweden, Norway, Russia and Finland. The creation myth of the Sami is a similar tale, which for reasons that will be clear as you hear the story, is aptly titled Son of the Sun. It speaks not only of how the world came to be, but also of the travels of the sun as he sought to bring mankind into the world. This then is the Sami tale of our origin. When the universe was an infant, there was no creation. This was before the world as we know it today had come to be. Back then, at the beginning of it all, there were only the sun and the earth. The sun was the world father and the earth the mother. They lived happily for many years, years that slowly turned to centuries and centuries to eons. Nobody knows for sure how long everything stayed in this way. Nevertheless, after what seemed like an eternity, Father Sun and Mother Earth decided to create the world that we see today. Why did they wait for so long? Well, nobody knows for sure. But what we do know is that they created everything that we see today. They began with forming the terrain upon the earth. 
Once Mother Earth had been shaped as desired, Father Sun covered the sky with clouds and let the rain pour from the sky. This is how the seas, oceans, rivers and lakes were formed. Mother Earth then said to Father Sky, There needs to be greenery in the world. I'd wish to be covered with plants and trees. Father Sky heard her words and sent in rain again. And as it rained, Mother Earth made it so that first forests flourished upon the earth. Then came the herbs and the plants, and finally the crops that sustain us all. They then made all the animals, both the land-dwelling and the sea-dwelling. They created it all, all except mankind. It was their son, the son of Father Son and Mother Earth, who was responsible for the creation of humans. Now the home of the Son of Sun was devoid of females, and without women, mankind wouldn't be born upon the earth. So the Sun set out with his friends on a boat in search of a mate. He and his friends sailed to the land of the giants to find a suitable woman for the Son of the Sun. Now no sooner had they landed in the land of the giants that they made an appearance at the court of the blind king of the giants. As he and his posse were being introduced to the king, the divine son found standing beside the lord of the land a beautiful damsel. The moment his eyes landed on her, he was besotted by the gorgeous giantess. He subtly inquired about her and was told, that she was indeed the daughter of the giant king. The daughter too spied the divine son and was besotted by him. The giant king meanwhile, after the introductions, proposed a banquet to welcome the divine son of the sun. It was during this feast that the divine son asked for his permission to marry his daughter. Now the giant king was not keen to give his daughter to one with no giant's blood. But though he was against the pairing, it was impossible to outrightly deny the son of the sun. The giant king thought for a while and said, Only one who is strong and worthy may marry my daughter. You may only claim to be a worthy suitor for my daughter if you possess the strength to best me in a finger-pulling match. The Divine Son had no option but to accept the challenge laid down by the Giant King. He did, however, know deep down that his strength was no match against that of the Giants. The Son sat in the feast, despondent and sad for he knew he would lose the contest. Now the daughter of the giant king had heard of this arrangement and, already being besotted by the divine son, sought to help her suitor against her father. Together, they devised a way to beat the king of the giants, who, though possessed great strength, was blind. 
And so it was that when the time for the competition came, the giantess and the divine son together defeated the giant king, who, being blind, was none the wiser about his daughter's involvement. However, such matters can only stay hidden for so long. Now while the giants filled in their king about his daughter's treachery, she and the Divine Son had consummated their relationship. Knowing that they would be found out, they boarded the boat and slipped away before the giants realized that the Son had fled their shores with the King's daughter. The sons of the Giant King, angry at this treachery, went after the boat of the Divine Son. They sought to not only capture their sister, but also teach the Divine Son a lesson for indulging in treachery. The couple and their friends saved themselves thanks to the giantess's magic handkerchief that hid them from her brothers. The Divine Son too prayed to his father, the Sun, who shone with such brightness and heat that the giants couldn't follow their ship. Now back in their own land, the giantess and the divine son married, and soon the ancestors of all Sami were born. The world was ripe for the first of our ancestors to prosper and flourish, and that is what they did. When the first of our ancestors got old, they died and descended to heaven as stars. That is where all of us go after we die. We go to heaven and look down upon the world and the deeds of our descendants. The final story of the episode is the Romanian creation myth. Now the origin of the Romanian people and their languages are a subject of long-standing debate. The seemingly popular theory suggests that Romanians emerged out of the cultural and linguistic intermixing that happened between the Roman and the Dacian people during the 2nd century AD. The Romanians today make up the majority of the population of Romania and Moldova. Others dispute the Roman influence and suggest the origin of the Romanians from a post-Roman evolution of the Balkan nomads. Over time, Romanians have developed an intriguing and very impressive mythology. Their stories have been the source of inspiration for many writers and thinkers all over the world. One variation of their creation myth involves a duality that existed at the very beginning. This duality is represented as Firtat, or brother, who is also thought of as God, and Nefertat, or non-brother, sometimes also called the devil. The second story speaks of a creator god who enlists the help of animals, in this case, a mole, to create the world. Let's begin with the first story, the tale of Firtat, and Nefertat. In the beginning, 
there was nothing but a boundless ocean. This was before time. This was before the birth of the gods. The vast endless ocean was called Upper Sambete, and it was as still as if it were a solid mirror. There was, after all, nothing to disturb the serenity of the waters. Nothing moved. Nothing existed. It was in this static state that the universe continued to exist. This is how things were for a very long time. However, out of nowhere, urged by no one, and being formed of nothing, there suddenly appeared a ripple upon this water. It was as if a gentle breeze had blown over the water, causing a slight disturbance on its surface. But once this disturbance was created, it grew in strength with each passing moment. Soon, the slight ripple had turned into roaring waves and frothy bubbles. The ocean churned and waves crashed into each other, creating white form as far as one could see and as vast as one could imagine. Now from this froth, there emerged a tree. This was the tree of life, and it extended from one end of the universe to the other. Upon this majestic and massive tree crawled a single butterfly and a lone worm. The tree was their home, that we know. But we do not know who created them, or how they came to be. When the butterfly surfaced, it shed its wings, and in doing so, transformed into a beautiful and radiant boy. So bright was the little child that he lit up the darkness around him. His face was serene and calm, and he smiled gently as he looked around and took in the universe. The worm, meanwhile, had similarly wriggled until it shed its body. It too then slowly transformed, and before long, there emerged another boy. This boy, however, unlike the bright and radiant boy who emerged from the butterfly, was covered in darkness. His face bore a constant frown as if he were dissatisfied with everything, as if he were annoyed with the act of being born. When the second child saw the first, he screamed, Brother! Or Firtat! He exclaimed with joy and came closer to the other, hoping to embrace him. But the first boy just shook his head and said, I can have no equal. I am above all and the paragon of creation. Thus, I cannot be your brother. I shall call you my non-brother or Nefertat. This is how Firtat and Nefertat were born. Firtat was the radiant boy, the one who was born of the butterfly the one who lit up the darkness around him. Nefertat was the one who emerged from the worm, the one 
who cast a shadow of darkness wherever he went. Firtat and Nefertat were the only two in the universe. Together, they sought to create a world upon the vast and endless waters. To begin creation, however, they first needed land. Firtat thus asked Nefertat to dive down under the sea in search of land. Please, non-brother, it falls upon you to dive down deep to find land in the depths of the ocean. For I cannot swim, and shall surely drown if I were to undertake this endeavor," said Firtat. Nefertat listened to his brother and descended down under. He, however, was not prepared for the depth of the ocean. His first attempt failed as he rushed to the surface, gasping for air before he could reach the very bottom of Appa Sambete, the Eternal Sea. Nefertat kept on trying again and again, but failed each time. He kept getting closer and closer and was even able to grab some land. But alas, it escaped his clutches as he swam upwards. When he failed for the third time, Firtat said, Say, you must have some mud stuck under your fingernails. That should be enough. Let us create land from it. Let us see how creation comes about. Thus, Nefertat removed the dirt from under his nails, collected it, and handed it over to Firtat, who took it and first molded an island under the great tree which birthed the two deities. After he created the island, he stopped and laid down to rest. Now while Firtat slept, Nefertat saw his chance to get rid of his brother and be the master of all creation. He knew that Firtat could not swim and so tried rolling the latter into the sea, hoping that it would be enough to drown the deity. However, everywhere Nefertat rolled Firtat, new land was created under him, thus preventing him from drowning. Firtat was rolled in all four directions, but each attempt seemed unsuccessful. For a long time, Nefertat tried to roll his friend, and as he did so, land expanded over the seas. By the time Firtat had awoken later, far from being upset with his friend, he was amazed at what was done while he slept. He, after all, woke up to find earth extended in every direction that he looked. But unfortunately, the earth seemed to be much too big. The two had to find a way to reduce the large swathes of land. Thus, the two stood on each corner of the world and squeezed the earth, trying to compress all the land. This is how the mountains, valleys, hills and lakes were created. They are but creases that came to be as the deities squeezed the land to make it fit 
upon the endless water. Now that water and land were ready, the two divinities thought that they should turn their attention to build a sky. This was to separate the waters above from the waters below. Now when they made the sky, they set it atop the highest branch of the cosmic tree. Once the sky was put in place, Firtat made the stars, the moons and the sun, sticking them into the sky like sparkling jewels. Now while the sky looked wondrous, it was, in the beginning, too heavy to stay atop the tree. It pushed the tree down into the land, making everything sink into the eternal sea. To stop the earth from sinking completely into the sea, Nefertad dove into the ocean and placed four pillars to hold up the land. These pillars are supported by giant cosmic fish, and they bear the weight of all things above land. With the land and sky thus made, and the sun, moon and stars placed in the sky, it was time to bring life into the world. The cosmic tree then bloomed and bore fruits. It is these that Firtat and Nefertat used to shape all the creatures, including mankind, that live and flourish upon the earth. Firtat created his animals with much thought, and it is seen in the results, for all the beautiful and practical animals have been created by him. Nefertat, meanwhile, let his imagination go wild. He experimented with creation, making giants, shapeshifters, and other strange beings. Now in the beginning, all creatures lived together and were at peace. But over time, evil spread into the world from the netherworld that existed under the ocean. The creatures of Nefertat were more susceptible to evil than those of Firtat. They became the evil creatures of darkness that plague our world today. Now the second tale is a relatively short story of the creation of our world. God first made heaven. He then decided to create the earth and began by measuring the space under the sky. To do so, he enlisted the help of a mole whose job was to carry a ball of thread with which God would weave patterns of earth under the sky. Now the mole would let out too much thread, which resulted in an earth that was far larger than God's desire. In fact, it was larger than the heaven above. The mole, upset at ruining God's plans, and also, fearing retribution from the deity, hid under the earth. But God, however, harbored no ill will against the mole. Surprised by the mole's lack of attendance, he asked the bee to look for the animal. The bee searched long and hard, and finally found the mole hiding in an underground tunnel. It flew to the animal and said, 
As you know, the earth is too big for God's liking. He tasked me to search you out to hear your advice on how earth may be fixed. The mole, of course, did not believe the bee and scoffed at the notion of God asking for help. He tried to shoo the bee away, saying that he would remain underground for fear of God's wrath. The bee, however, was undeterred and dogged in its pursuit. It refused to return to God without an answer. So the little creature hid in a flower and kept the tab on the mole. Now while hiding, it overheard the mole mumbling about what he would do if he were God. If it were up to me, he said, I would squeeze the earth to fit under the sky. That would turn this barren, featureless world into a beautiful one with mountains and valleys. The bee heard this and returned to God, suggesting the mole's advice. God did what the mole had suggested, and the world fit just fine under the sky. These are all the stories we have time for in this episode. If you liked what you heard, please consider leaving a rating and feedback on whatever podcast player you use. Why not follow us on social media to keep up to date with the latest? Our Twitter and Instagram handles are at stories, THT, MDE, US. That's at stories, THT, MDE, US. You may also email us at info.storiesthatmadeus at gmail.com. Do let us know of your feedback and comments, or just drop by to say hello. I'll see you again next week with more tales of our creation. Until then, goodbye and take care.